The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. That's right. Bear down, Bears fans. It's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast. Bears banter. Howard. By Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you, and well, we got a loss to talk about. I don't think any of us are too surprised the Bears have started off the season 0-1, but let's get into it here. Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus, he's going to be jumping on here in about 10 minutes or so, so we will uh, have a good conversation with Brad on the multiple things, defense, offense, Cap management, anything you can think of. Brad's a great guest in, in that regard. Great, great, does a great job breaking down. Bears fan, so he, he puts extra focus there on the Chicago Bears. He's at PFF underscore Brad on Twitter. I'm sure you're giving him a, a follow already, but if you're not, make sure you go and do that. You will not be sorry. Plenty of great content. But let's jump in here on this game. This game, the final score was was ugly. There were a lot of ugly aspects of this game. So, so let's kind of talk about what we see here and where the Bears can go from here. Because, look, how this game played out was unfortunately very predictable. And if it continues to play out this way, Justin Fields or not, the Bears are not going to be winning a lot of games. And the reason for that right now is the play of the secondary. This was the biggest issue in this game. I, you know, I, I, you know, I played, I had plenty of time on Bears Twitter, paid attention to what people were saying, whether that be fans, whether that be analysts, national and local. And I saw a lot of fans, not as much in the media, but a lot of fans were really focused on the offense. It was like, they just wanted to see the offense fail with Andy Dalton. So they had more of a reason to go for Justin Fields. And look, I want Fields on the field too. I've said that all along. If I was the coach of the Chicago Bears, they'd be 0-17, but I would be playing Justin Fields right from the get-go because it's just a smart move. This is not a, a project. This is not Jordan Love that needs to sit. This is, this is not even Trey Lance who came from a small school. This is a guy who played top-level competition, proved he belonged with that competition, has never shown an issue at all in terms of shrinking from the moment and and not being ready. So for me, it's a mistake that he's not starting, but 
you know, we're going to focus on the reality of the situation here. And, and the reality of the situation is Fields or Dalton, if the secondary continues to play like that, they're not going to win ball games. And look, I, you know, Matt Stafford, I think is a very good quarterback. He's lethal with Sean McVay. He was near perfect. He was two, per, you know, two points, whatever you want to call it, in passer rating, short of being perfect. 158.3 is perfect. He was 156.2, I think it was ridiculously efficient passing 12 and a half yards an attempt, not a completion, an attempt, which is just ridiculous that they were, they were that efficient. But the bottom line is they were that efficient. It, Matt Stafford was not threading the needle. Remember that Mitch Trubisky game against the Bucks, where the Bucks had guys just wide open, or I'm sorry, the Bears had guys wide open all over the field against Tampa and Mitch just lit them up for six touchdowns. It wasn't that level of bad, but it was close. It was a dreadful performance. This defense reminded me of the defense that Mel Tucker was trotting out there in the Mark Tresson years where they gave up back-to-back 50-point games to the Patriots and the Packers. It was that level of bad. And you just sit there and say, well, they only gave up 34 points. To me, the only reason this defense gave up 34 points is because the offense actually controlled the clock, ran the football, kept the first downs, kept the chains moving with first downs, 24 first downs, no three and outs. That's the reason. Had we had a Mitch Trubisky, Nick Foles offense that's just littered with three and outs through the game, this team would have put up 50 easily. If you don't think the Rams would have put up 50, if they had a little more time on the clock, you're crazy. The Rams did whatever they wanted with the football, except one series where they went three and out, where the Bears sacked Matt Stafford, disrupted the offense, got a sack, and they ended up getting a punt. Because the only way to protect a secondary that bad is to rush the passer, and that's what they did on that series. The rest of the time, they got light pressure on Stafford. It's not like they didn't have any, but they didn't have enough pressure. They, they needed to get pressure. They needed to make him throw off his back foot. They needed to make him rush passes, maybe make poor decisions, short-arm balls. But it did not happen. The pass rush was not strong enough, and the secondary was destroyed especially at slot. Duke Shelley, who people thought was going to be starting, you know, not even active, Marquis Christian, that he just can't cover in the slot like that. I mean, we know how important the slot is in, in the modern-day NFL, and the Bears do not have someone who can cover in the slot. They just don't. Kendall Vildor also was eh at best, I would say. He wasn't like he, was, he gave up 150 yards. But he, when he was targeted a couple times, he did give up completions, so not much there. Jalen Johnson looked good, but when Jalen Johnson is your only defensive back playing well, he's really easy to avoid and just get the ball to other people. And the way the safeties played, particularly Eddie Jackson, I mean, Eddie Jackson, one of the highest paid safeties in the league, expected to be a playmaker. He just hasn't been at the last, he's, and he's getting worse. He is getting worse. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw this theory to Brad uh, Spielberger when we have him on. And I just thought of this a couple days ago. And for those of you who have followed me on Twitter for a while, I was not the biggest Adrian Amos supporter. It's not that I disliked Adrian Amos. It's that, to me, offenses in, in this NFL are going to score points. They're going to get yards. So the way to combat that is to get them to turn the ball over. So you need guys in the secondary that can cause turnovers, which is why... Eddie Jackson excelled and why Adrian Amos was replaceable because 
while Amos was a guy that's in the right place and a sure tackler, he does not make big plays. He does not make plays that'll pivot a game. He doesn't cause turnovers. He doesn't force fumbles. You know, he, he doesn't really do any of that stuff. No, you know, interceptions, defensive touchdowns. That's not what Amos does. So when the Bears are stacked with talent defensively, they've got to make tough choices. And Adrian Amos was one of those tough choices. And, and now he's on the Packers. But the more I think about it, the fact that Adrian Amos was always in the right place and did make tackles and did not miss tackles, what did that do? That opened up Eddie Jackson to play center field and to be able to be a ball hawk and go, go for the ball. You know, wherever that ball was going to go, if they were going to try anything mid-range and deep, Jackson was going to be able to play the quarterback's eyes, get jumps on the ball, and go for the football and make plays because he knew Adrian Amos was there to back him up. And since Amos has left, Jackson has not been able to do that, whether it's a confidence issue, whether it's a scheme issue, whatever it might be, Jackson's not doing that as much. And the tackling, what he showed on the field on Sunday night was just dreadful. This secondary right now is a major problem. I don't know how they're going to fix it. I would absolutely bring in a couple guys off the street and see if they're any better, especially at slot corner. I know they did bring some guys in earlier this week. You cannot have this at slot corner. I know Cooper Cup's great in the slot, but they're going to have some other great slot players throughout the year. And if they don't figure this out to at least neutralize it a little bit, just a little bit, they are in for a long season. I don't care what Sean Desai does. Unless they have the best pass rush in the NFL, this secondary is going to be a major, major problem. And jumping over to the offensive side of the ball, I'm sitting here seeing all these Bears fans, Dalton sucks, Dalton sucks, get him out, get him out, get him out. And I get that that the red zone turnover was really bad. People giving him crap about that second turnover. That was a fourth down play. Dalton's desperately trying to make a play because it's fourth down, it doesn't matter. So he ends up fumbling the football. I don't care about that, that play there. But the interception was terrible. But the Rams wanted to keep the Bears in front of them. They didn't want to give up big plays, probably because they were confident they'd be able to score on the defense, so try and limit the offense. You, they were not going to be able to push the ball down the field well against the way the Rams were playing the Bears, especially you know in, in the Andy Dalton world of what he can do. He's a pretty good mid-range deep, but he doesn't have that real deep ball. Now, again, is that a reason to play Justin Fields? Sure. And like I said, I would be playing Justin Fields, but I'm looking at this offense the way it is, and I'm not disappointed with how the offense played. I, I know a lot of Bears fans, well, they scored 14 points, and I get it. The bottom line is how many points do you score? And we saw that a lot in 2018, the Bears scoring, you know, 27, 28, 31 points a game. And then you realize that a lot of it was because the offense was the defensive touchdown, offense given a short field, all, all those type of things. So while the offense may not have been as good in 2018, it was put in positions to succeed, and it did. 2019 and 2020, that didn't happen. The offense was terrible. This is the best this offense has looked in my eyes since 2018. No three and outs, which is huge. This team has three and outs all over the place the last couple of years. No three and outs. That was great to see. 24 first downs, one time of possession. These are all positives in my eyes. Offensive line was bad. I don't think it was hideous. Uh, Effetti played better than I expected. Peters wasn't bad. Wilkinson honestly wasn't bad. I thought Cody Whitehair was awful. Um, Mustafer still, I think, is what he is. 
And James Daniels, I think, is pretty good. He's not amazing, but I think he's a pretty good player. But Cody Whitehair had a really bad game. He was beaten up a lot by that Rams front. So while the offensive line wasn't great, you know, I think they, they they ran block pretty well. Montgomery got a lot of yards. Montgomery looked great. Love to see David Montgomery looking that way. But the offense overall was pretty efficient. If you know, Look, and I know it's ifs, but if Andy Dalton doesn't throw that uh, that red zone pick six, you know, do they get another, do they get a touchdown? Instead of going for it fourth down when you're down so much late and you kick a field goal, suddenly the team has 24, 27 points potentially, and it's not that bad. But I get it. They only scored 14 points. That's the goal They is to score points, and they failed in that goal. So I'm not sitting here saying the offense was fantastic. But if you watch that game and you said the problem is the offense, I, I just, I don't know what you're watching because that secondary was so bad. It was dreadful. It's potentially the worst in the league. It's only one week. Let's see if they can turn around. But this Bengals team, Joe, Joe Burrow, Tyler Boyd, you know, T Higgins, uh, you know, Jamar Chase, they, they have some weapons offensively. There are weapons there, and I've got concerns. I do think the Bears can win this game against Cincinnati, but I have concerns about how this secondary is going to look. Now, as for Justin Fields, loved that he played. (laughs) It seems, you know, Dan Bernstein from the score had a a column like that. Well, at least Justin Fields played. I'm not, again, and I've said this before, but if you haven't heard me say this or tweet this, I will reiterate it. I am not against how the Chicago Bears are handling Justin Fields if he's on the field starting by the Detroit game in week four. I'm not against if he just has a few weeks to learn the ropes of an NFL week and preparation and how that works in the regular season, have Nagy and and Laser and and those guys iron out some some protection issues that that were exposed in the preseason a little bit, a couple things he needs to recognize pre-snap. I I understand, you know, expand his playbook, make sure he's got a better handle on the playbook from top to bottom. I'm okay with that. I actually kind of like the idea of putting Fields out there for a few plays and seeing how he handles it. You know, whatever it was, five, six plays this week, against LA. Maybe it's going to be eight, 10 plays against Cincinnati. Maybe it's going to be 15 against Cleveland. I am not against the idea of Justin Fields being eased in to the NFL. I'm okay with it. Now, on the opposite side of that, if Justin Fields is still playing five to seven plays a game and we're in week eight, nine, 10, I'm totally against this, totally against it. But if it's for just three weeks or so, I am okay with easing him in. But there is no question in my mind that the way this Bears offense was run, Andy, uh, Andy Dalton, Justin Fields can Justin Fields can run curls and slants and screens and keep the ball short. That's fine. He's perfectly capable of doing that, getting the ball out quick so he doesn't have to worry about getting slammed by the defense. Fields can do that, and then you can mix a few other things in. Fields is going to make mistakes. We know that, but Fields... While Dalton may make less mistakes than Fields, Fields will make more big plays. And that's the hope. You need big plays in the NFL to win games. You can't win games with the offense, you know, playing the way it did. Now, again, in this situation, 
with the Rams offense playing, being as, as elite as it was on Sunday night, I'm glad they were able to keep control of the ball the Bears were on offense and keep the Rams off the field. But in terms of the long run, they cannot keep trotting out Andy Dalton and a conservative offense with this secondary on the other side. It's a recipe for a 3-14 and 14 season. So that, that cannot be the case. So, like I said, if we can get fields starting by Detroit, maybe Vegas at the latest, that's okay. But if they are insistent on having Andy Dalton play for half the season or more, that is a terrible strategy as far as I'm concerned. So we will talk Fields and Dalton. We will talk defense. We will talk offensive line. We will talk it all with Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus next. This is Bear Banser, Bill Zimmerman. Be right back. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. And here he is, as promised. He is Brad Spielberger. He's at PFF underscore Brad on Twitter. If you're not following him, do it now, although I'm sure most of you already are. Brad, Bill Zimmerman, how are you? I'm doing great, Bill. Uh, you know, Sunday night wasn't the best, but it was uh, as expected. And I think if you set those expectations, then the uh, the hurt isn't as deep. Yeah, exactly. I, I think, look, there's always some Bears fans where it's always hope springs eternal, as it is with any fan base. So they're always expecting the best. But I think anyone who really objectively looked at this roster saw it had a lot of flaws. And the flaws that were being pointed out for most of basically since May, you know, but largely in July and August, the two big holes were offensive line and secondary. And those certainly seem to be a, a problem Sunday night against the Rams. Let's start with the secondary, because for me, this was one of the worst performances I've seen from a Chicago Bears secondary since Mel Tucker. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, both on the film and statistically, it was one of the worst, you know, pass coverage performances we've seen from the Bears. Uh, you know, I, I put something out on Sunday, but, you know, you're looking at just the yards per play and yards per dropback and, you know, expected points added is this analytics thing we get into. Um, but essentially looking at all those things, it is a top 10 bad performance defending the pass uh, last week against Matt Stafford, a guy they've seen, you know, a lot of times. Yeah, now to be to be fair a little bit, I, I've said all offseason that I think the Matt Stafford-Sean McVay combo this season is going to be lethal. I think Stafford has been underutilized for his whole career. He had a lot of bad situations in Detroit, and I finally think this is him going to be able to really show what he can do. And I'll just say this before we get back on the Bears. If Stafford is at that level, and I understand how poorly the Bears' secondary is talent-wise and performance there, but if he's at that level, this this Rams team is an easy Super Bowl contender. I'm with you 100%. And Sean McVay was dialing up the easy plays and easy throws, play action, a lot of that stuff. Uh, and he was, I mean, he was eight for eight for 155 yards and a touchdown on play action, uh, just taking all the all, all that's in front of him and, and excelling in that offense. Now, we 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 talked about, and I've had I had Aaron Lemming and, and Dan Meehan on, and we all kind of talked about the same thing that we knew this secondary lacked talent and that the, the only way to really cover that up on a full game basis was going to be to get after the quarterback. And if, if you honestly, if you look at the Rams drives, they had one three and out and that one three and out was when Stafford got sacked. So you, you can see how much that can disrupt an offense. And when they weren't getting after the quarterback, when they gave, and I Stafford gets the ball out quick, 
And, and when they didn't get in his face, when he didn't throw off his back foot, when he didn't have pressure, he, he picked them apart. So if the pass rush isn't able to get home all the time, and I mean, no pass rush is, but if they're not getting home a lot, is, is there any way you can see, you know, Sean decide and anything he might be able to do, any kind of scheming, what can he do to try and help protect the lack of talent right now in this secondary? It's a great question. And the thing is, you saw examples around the league. Um, for example, the Arizona Cardinals going up against the Tennessee Titans, a good offense the last couple of years. The Cardinals cornerback room is probably more dire than the Bears cornerback room. But their defensive front with Chandler Jones with five sacks, TJ, uh, excuse me, J.J. Watt getting pressure, all these guys getting pressure. It, it neutralized that and, and took that out. You know, they had to get the ball out immediately. They couldn't do the things that the Rams were able to do. So it's really the pass rush getting home. That is the answer. I know it's a cop-out answer, and it doesn't get into what can he change on the back end. But, frankly, I don't know what you can change. The talent is not there. They have one corner in Jalen Johnson you can truly trust. I thought Kim DeVilder was okay. But still, Jalen Johnson is the one true, you know, this guy is a multi-year NFL starter. You say that when you watch him. This is the slot and builder on the other side and the outside. They need this defensive line to create pressure, to make the quarterback make quicker decisions. Otherwise, I think they're going to get covered up every Sunday. And look, if you had a secondary of, you know, Kyle Fuller and Adrian Amos and Eddie Jackson, where he was a few years ago, and Bryce Callahan and Kendall Vildor, you can get away with having Kendall Vildor. Yeah, is he going to get picked at? Sure, he's going to get picked at. He's going to give up some first downs and some yardage. And of course, that's going to happen. But when you have... Eddie Jackson playing the way he played and Eddie Jackson played like a replacement level safety. He, he did not play like an average safety. He played terribly. Gibson admitted that he did not play well. Vildor eh, there just didn't, didn't show any flash, didn't get crushed. But I mean, any, the, the one time technical stats, the one time he was targeted, you know, it was a completion and his stats last year, I understand it was his rookie year when he was targeted, he was completely, overmatched so and then when you get to the nickel position that's the biggest weakness of, of all of it and the nickel position was terrible and I, I know now they brought in some some defensive backs and maybe they're going to sign one of them but we know how important the slot is in, in modern NFL and the way the Bears are going to cover it this season is scary <laughs> you know it, it's scary bad it, it's definitely scary. You know, Marky Christian has had success in this league, but he, he's played mostly safety. Yes, he's played in the slot and he, he, he can come down in the box and, and he's versatile and does different things. But as a true slot cornerback where he is, his role is to take the player in the slot. He has snaps there, but it's not what he's always been asked to do. Um, you know, I think another point you made there was really key was that we talk about coverage units being kind of have a weak link. And if there's one guy you can pick on, maybe you can kind of scheme around it because if everyone else is good, you can say, all right, you know, give this guy some safety help over the top or do whatever you need to do to take care of him. The issue with this secondary is you have a couple holes. I, th I think Gibson is just not a good player in coverage at this point in his career. So he's not as helpful as he could be. And then Eddie Jackson is supposed to be that guy, that ball hawk that keeps everything in front of him and, and makes you feel comfortable. He hasn't been that for a bit now. The thing, too, with this Rams matchup, and I think it's going to continue, if the Bears play teams like, let's say, a Green Bay Packers, where Devontae Adams is the you know target number one, 1A, 2, 3, 4, and 5, they might be okay there because they can have Jalen Johnson, not on an island, but Jalen Johnson taking on Devontae Adams and everyone else combining to take the rest of the team away. The Los Angeles Rams are six or seven receiving weapons deep. 
I mean, Tyler Higby at tight end is a good player as it get talked about. Van Jefferson, their second-round pick from last year, who people were saying might fall off the depth chart, and they, they drafted Tutu Atwell in the second round. This year, they brought in Deshaun Jackson, the free agent. They had six or seven guys. And you didn't even mention the, Woods and Cup. Right. I haven't even mentioned, you know, you're right, Robert Woods and Cooper Cup, and Cooper Cup had a field day, obviously, in the slot. But but essentially what that does is I think it spreads this Bears defense too thin, and they, they're going to lose one or two of those matchups every snap. That's that's a really good point. Let's – yeah, and Gibson, I don't think there's much to say. This this is what he is at this point. They tried to bring him back again. We'll, you know, cross your fingers. We'll see how that goes. Eddie Jackson. I don't know exactly what's happened to Eddie Jackson. He's definitely been on a downward slope the last, you know, few years, really since he signed that contract. And I'm not trying to suggest that Eddie was after his money and he's not trying anymore. I'm not, I'm not going down that road, but there's something amiss there. I think, you know, some people wanted to blame Pagano. And they said, well, you know, this is going to be now more of like a big Fangio defense. So he's going to get back to what he's doing. And, th- you know, this might have been the worst Eddie Jackson performance we've seen. It's just not getting better. Now, I have a theory. You want to tell me it's crap? That's fine. You know, I was never a huge Adrian Amos supporter because he doesn't create splash plays. He doesn't create turnovers. And I think the biggest thing in the secondary in the modern day NFL where the offenses are going to get yards is you need to be able to create turnovers. And Amos didn't do that. But what Amos did do he was always in the right spot. He made tackles in the middle of the field, which kind of just let Eddie Jackson play center field and go after the ball a lot more. And I think maybe Amos covered up that tackling deficiency that maybe he's been there with Eddie Jackson. Just a theory I came up with this week. I don't know if it has any validity to it, but what do you think is going on with Eddie Jackson here? Because that's a big contract and they are not getting the performance they need out of him. Yeah, you know, I think the theory aligns with something that, you know, I've seen, we've seen over the years. And look, I, 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 I do respect and appreciate PFF stats, and I know that we work very hard to produce them, but I know nothing is perfect. And I remember Bears fans always used to wonder, you know, Adrian Amos was getting super high grades, and they were like, you know, I like Adrian Amos, but I don't know if he's that good. And I think our grading system, particularly in the secondary, does value consistency and the lack of mistakes. And so, like you said, well, Amos doesn't turn the ball over a ton or maybe have a lot of pass breakups, stuff like that. He always seemed to be in the right position, kept guys in front of him, didn't let big plays happen. And I do think Eddie Jackson was able to play off of that and knowing, okay, Amos will be where he needs to be. Kyle Fuller's taking the entire left side of the field, and and he's probably in a good spot. It gave him, I think, more confidence to roam and, and to feel secure in that. And, yeah, we have not seen that. I mean, he was our number one safety in 2018, and it's pretty much been a straight decline since then. Now, but before we jump over to the offense, because obviously I want to talk about how the offense looked and the handling of Justin Fields here. W- one more thing I want to talk about, and being how much you do with salary cap and, and, and structuring rosters and, and everything – So the Bears had to make some choices to make the salary cap work this year. They decided to keep Jimmy Graham and, you know, restructures contract, kick some money, some dead money down the road. They let Charles Leno go, which was to the, you know, chagrin of some Bears fans and glee of others. They let Kyle Fuller go. And I understand Fuller had a big cap hit. And they they also kept Akeem Hicks. They had some options on what to do to make things work. Kyle Fuller was, was obviously an answer. I don't know if it was the right answer, especially how we're seeing how this secondary looks right now. Now, hindsight being 2020 was Kyle Fuller and whatever you had to do to keep Kyle Fuller, whether that means letting Akeem Hicks go, Leno and Graham, you know, whatever combination it might have been. Is that a massive mistake at this point? 
I think it's fair to say. I mean, I think when you were looking at this roster and where you wanted to, you knew you had to make some tough decisions. And look, yes, I critique the Bears cap management, but a lot of teams had to make difficult decisions this offseason, and we understand that. And I'll even, I'll even raise my hand. Yes, they had a bunch of left tackle injuries, but, you know, they, they Charles Leno did barely miss a snap for five years in a row. I think the fact that he was reliable and steady and solid, maybe I inflated the value of what that was a little bit. I thought Jermaine and Fetty looked fine at right tackle, and I, th- I think Peters, if healthy, is, is, is good enough where he's you're saving a ton of money at that spot and maybe you can spend it elsewhere. But the decision to keep Jimmy Graham, it's just – I've, I've said it a lot, but it's just inexcusable, and he barely even played on Sunday. I mean, he had 20 snaps, but he had eight snaps, I want to say, through three quarters, and then they kind of, you know, peppered him in a bit as they were trying to move the ball once they were down, you know, three scores. And it's just – he had one reception. They tweeted about how it was his 700th catch like five times since then. Like, I just – I don't understand what the motivation is, and I don't understand how you, you take – you reflect on your roster, and that's where you arrive. Um, yes, Kyle Fuller's deal was not set up very well. It was a $20 million cap hit if they kept him, but you could have pushed a lot of that money down the line. You already had void years in place on that deal. They should have found a way to make, to make it work and keep Kyle Fuller, you know, in Chicago. All right. Now let's jump over to the offensive side of the ball. We'll start with the offensive line since you, you, you started there. And I think if you just watch the game, and didn't really watch the offensive line, if you were just the guy that just kept your eye on the ball, casually watched it Sunday, didn't go back and really watch anything, you might have thought the offensive line was okay. You know, Dalton got pressured a little. It's not like Dalton got sacked seven times. David Montgomery run for over 100 yards. You're probably sitting there going, hey, the offensive line looked pretty good. Now, if you watch it carefully, you're going to see a lot of warts. And I know PFF looked at it with, with the grading system and had major problems with the interior offensive line. So why don't you go through how what you saw you know, and the full performance of all five, well, seven guys technically with the injuries with, with the offensive line on Sunday night. Yeah. You know, in the moment during the game, I also thought they were fine. Um, You know, I thought the offense had a rhythm. I thought it did look smooth at times where, you know, getting past personnel issues. We also have had to deal with, you know, Matt Nagy with strange play calling at times, or just the offense looking out of sync, a lot of pre-snap penalties, stuff like that. I thought there was less of that, and the offense under Andy Dalton's control at least looked organized. They had a couple sustained drives. I mean, right out, right out of the gate, they had a solid drive that obviously ended in the, the interception in the end zone. So overall, I thought they did look solid. And when I went back on my second watch, all I focused on was the three guys in the interior because, yes, our PFF grades when I first saw them, I did not really understand the, the situation there. And I think a lot of it there was – I know the graders, if a guy moves backwards, so if a guy concedes space and moves backwards right away on a pass blocking snap, that's not going to be graded very, very positively because you're immediately compressing the pocket. You are making Andy Dalton uncomfortable and there's, there's traffic in his face. And I think a lot of the plays that did break down did collapse. The tackles were honestly okay. And he may not have gotten a, a true quarterback pressure or a sack. And yes, it's Aaron Donald. But if you watch the interior, they're moving backwards every snap, it seems like, and they're just conceding room. And I think that for those three guys in the interior, they're very important to this team, specifically both guards. Cody Whitehair at left guard, a highly paid guard now. James Daniels, second-round pick in a contract year at right guard. And look, Sam Mustafer, undrafted guy who's trying to find his way in this league, and I'm not sure why the hype got as high as it did. But they're an important component of this offense. They could have been worse at the grades. I still, if I'm being honest, or a little bit lower than maybe I would have given. I'm not a grader and I shouldn't be, but but they were not as good as I thought they were the first look through. Now, what White Harris was what? It was like scary low. It was like 14 or something, right? It was a 14.6. And I'll tell you, when I went back and looked, 
it's things that aren't showing up on the stat sheet. And I get that, you know, people don't want to like hear this and all that. He got beat really badly. And it wasn't just Aaron Donald. John Franklin Myers was giving him trouble all afternoon or all evening, I suppose. Um, no, he, he could have looked better. I, I thought they all looked good in run, in run blocking, which, which is important. Um, but in pass protection, he was not good. Yeah, that, that was the one guy when I watched, and again, you know, you're trying to watch everything at once, you know, without before you go through the game the second time. Whitehair was the one guy that jumped off the page of me in a negative way because there were a few times where he got roasted and, and you're, you're pointing him out. And that's, you know, that, that's a, clearly Cody Whitehair is not going to get another contract the way, the way he's going. But now, now let, let me ask you this for a team that's, you know, going to have, I understand if you look on paper, they're going to have a lot of cap space. But, you know, you know, if they're going to pay Roquan Smith, if they're going to pay Allen Robinson, you know, they're, they're kicking a lot of dead money down the road if they decide to release Quinn. And, and the, you know, there, there's there's cap issues still in 2022. James Daniels, from from what you see, and I understand this is only one game this year. He only had four or five games last year. So we're, we're at a limited limited amount of time here the last couple of years. If he still looks kind of where he did on Sunday night, maybe a little better through the season, but doesn't become a stalwart on the offensive line. Is he worth a second contract in your eyes? If you can get it, uh, you know, obviously less than 10 million per year, some sort of, you know, I don't sick. I don't, I'm making up numbers, five, six, seven million, something like that. If you can get Daniels in that range, is he worth keeping? It's a great question. I think it's one of the big questions of this season. Um, you know, the Bears, the last three years before this season, had extended a guy right in September. We've kind of gotten used to that right before the season kicked off. And I think it is telling that, you know, Bilal Nichols, a guy I'm super high on, and James Daniels, those 2018 draft picks that have shown something. Um, you know, neither, neither one gets a deal done or really even rumors it was being talked about at all. The thing with Daniels, I, I would try to give him credit. The, the offense has gone through so many changes since he's arrived. They were an inside zone team. Now they're an outside zone team. He came in as a center. He started center, then got to push to left guard. Now he's playing right guard. So I'm with you that we should give him some time. And it was Aaron Donald, you know, on Sunday. So I think we should give him some time. I'm always, there's always a couple reps a week. It's frustrating where his athleticism shows. And you see why he was a top 40 pick, you know, at interior offensive line, which is a very high pick for a center because he, he can do things in space that really impressed you in the run game. He had a couple phenomenal seal blocks. He looked good at times. I think it's just consistency with him. Like, can he show you week in and week out that he can be a consistent presence that's at least above average? Um, and that's why I'm going to say let's have him some patience in this new offense with Andy Dalton. Although, for all we know, it'll be a Justin Fields offense doing different things in a couple of weeks, and that'll complicate matters. But <laughs> long answer short, I, I would consider it. He's on the team for a reason. Um, if you can get him for a kind of, yeah, like you said, maybe a shorter deal, two years, 15 million, something like that, just to see what you have, it's it's definitely a you know a possibility. All right, now now let's kind of get to the offense as a whole, which will lead us into to the Dalton Field situation. Now the offense to me, and, and and look, and I've been arguing on Twitter for three straight days about this, and I am not trying to sit there and rah rah the offense like this was an amazing breakthrough game. They scored 14 points. I understand. The goal here is to put up 27, 30 points a game, and they didn't come anywhere close to it. But if I'm going to look at this offense compared to what this offense was the last couple of seasons and what I saw this year, this to me was the crispest this offense has looked in maybe since 2018. I understand they kept everything short and everyone wants to stretch the field and Marquise Goodwin wants to stretch the field. They got all this speed at receiver now. They're not stretching the field. I, I understand that. The Rams were giving them short. They took short. There were no three and outs. There were 24 first downs. They ran the ball well. 
there was a lot of positivity there. And if they took a couple field goals and if Dalton doesn't throw that, that pick six, they're close to scoring 24, 27 points. Now, again, that to a lot of people, the way I criticized Trubisky was you can't sit there and, and isolate four good things and ignore the, the bad things and say, this is Trubisky. And I know I'm kind of doing the exact opposite, doing the exact same thing for Matt Nagy's offense. So I, I'm not going to sit here and be a complete hypocrite, partial hypocrite, sure, but not a complete hypocrite. I thought there was positive with the offense that, that I hadn't seen in a while. I felt better about this offense than I have in a long time, even though a lot of Bears fans were still upset with what they saw. What did you see? So I'm with you. Um, and I think the big thing is what you said right at the beginning is taking what the defense gives you. I think one thing that Matt Nagy, this trick he falls into is he has things he wants to do. He wants to have these creative plays or wants to push the ball down the field, which, yes, you should do at some point. But sometimes he does it when it's not being given to him. And the Rams, what they do is they sit in two high safety looks and they, 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 they say, hey, beat us deep, try to beat us deep. We're keeping everything in front of us. We will give you the underneath and we'll let you run the ball, frankly. They had the second lowest rate of stacked boxes. So the amount of guys you know, in the box on, on a particular snap, pre-snap, they were very light in the box. So it's basically saying run the ball against us because you will get some yards. And, and, and so they're, they're asking for that. And so Matt Nagy, Yes, they were down, and yes, the fact that the Bears were the only team in the NFL that did not attempt to pass beyond 15 yards beyond the line of scrimmage, of course we're going to shake our head at that, especially when you're down by, you know, 20 points for much of the game, and you're fourth and 15, and you throw the ball short of the sticks. Like, of course, that you're going to be frustrated by that, but I agree. I was, I was, I was positive. I thought it was positive. They took what was given to them. They didn't try to force anything. And if they do that with a better defensive performance, I think you will see better results. Where like in years past, if they'd done this in some of the close games they lost last year, I think the results would have been better. And 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 the one thing I'll say further, and and I admittedly, this kind of thought process is kind of playing not to lose. But at the same time, when your secondary looked as sh- and it looked shaky right out of the gate with the Van Jefferson play. I mean, right out of the gate. And, you know, the, even even when they held him to a couple of field goals, they were moving the ball down the field pretty easily. Obviously, when Stafford's nearly perfect in his passer rating, obviously they're moving in 12 and a half. I think it was 12 and a half yards an attempt. <laughs> you're going to you're going to obviously have success. But when the offense of the Rams is that efficient and there's no hope of stopping them on the defensive side of the ball, the best thing you can do is control the clock and keep the Rams offense on the field, which is the only reason why they were only down six early in the third quarter was because they were keeping the Rams offense off the field. And then of course the Rams score three straight touchdowns and and that's the end of it. But at at some point you have to be able to rely on your defense and the bears didn't have that. So keeping it short and moving the ball. And like I said, no three and outs, which for this offense is, is a near miracle based on what 2019 and 2020 were. If that was in Nagy's strategy to keep it short, keep the clock moving, keep the chains moving, and keep the Rams' offense off the field, like I said, I know that's a little bit of playing scared, but based on how that Rams' offense looks against the Bears' defense, I'm not against that. No, and that's the unfortunate reality of, like I said, if this type of offense could have the defensive performances of the last three years, I mean, that seems winning a lot of games. Um, Because, yes, like we obviously push back. You know, I think some teams – 
you know, say, oh, when you play the Chiefs, all you want to do is keep Mahomes off the field and you should run the ball and do all these things. And there's some of that, but you also do need to try to, you know, score points and keep up with them on offense because you never know when they're going to break off a 75-yard throw to Tyree Kill or to, you know, Van Jefferson and, and, you know, for the Rams. Like, that can happen any moment you need to, co- need to come back. But to be able to have your bread and butter, to be able to have your your plays where you are just slowly moving the ball down the field, progressing, you know, spreading the ball around. I mean, they, they obviously target, you know, David Williams looked good. Cole Komet looked good. Like, I thought they did a lot of good things on offense, got everyone involved early. Um, so that is definitely positive and something you want to see going forward. Unfortunately, like you said, it, it, it's kind of less – um, you know, less valuable and less, you know, positive when it's a, you're down the entire game. But at least it shows they're capable of doing it, which has not always been the case. Yeah, very, very, very true. <laughs> uh, now, let's get to the quarterback position here. Andy Dalton, here, here's my observations of what I saw out of Andy Dalton. Andy Dalton is the best quarterback that Matt Nagy has had in Chicago since he has been here. I don't think there's any question about it. But Andy Dalton still showed that he's Andy Dalton. He is not going to be a game breaker. He is not going to do anything magical with the football. You know, he can do enough to not lose a game. He's rarely going to do enough to be the guy as the reason to win the game. So that being said, if we know who Andy Dalton is, and while there was a little more efficiency to the offense, the question then remains, if Dalton can't be a game breaker, then hopefully sooner rather than later, the one game breaker they may have, number one, sitting on the bench for most of the game, is starting a quarterback. Yeah, and, and you know, look, I, Dalton did do a lot of things well. He took what was available to him. He, you know, he made some smart plays. He extended a couple of plays too, which you know, we're not, you know, we're expecting out of Justin Fields and be less so Andy Dalton. Um, you know, with the Bears' offensive line, like we said, down, you know, multiple left tackles. Um, not great performances across the board there. He still didn't. You know, like like Nick Foles' mobility is is zero. Like at least Andy Dalton's is, you know, maybe 20 out of 100, and he, and he can do some things. At the end of the day, though, my thing is, unless you genuinely do not think Justin Fields can face like NFL defenses and NFL speed without it causing him to, you know, see ghosts, as Sam Donald said, or whatever, there's nothing Andy Dalton's doing that forces you to keep Fields on the bench. Like. Like, people love to make the Alex Smith comparison. Alex Smith is coming off back-to-back playoff appearances, was running a very efficient offense. If Dalton, let's say he didn't play well, but let's say they were running stuff that was super complex and he was throwing down the field and he was doing all sorts of things, you'd say, hey, you know, Justin Fields might not be ready to do this. If you're going to run that offense running seven-yard curl routes every single snap, let Justin Fields do that and learn how to identify coverages, how to identify – blitz you know like picking up blitzes or or you know mock blitzes and picking up like things defenses are doing like he can learn from these experiences if this is all you're going to do yeah and and I talked to before the season I talked to a, a national NFL insider type and talked to Adam Johns on his athletic Q&A and, and and basically asked them the same question of when do they think you know when do you think Fields is going to start and both of them you know basically said second half of the season now, I don't know if that's the case. That was just two opinions. Obviously, it's people who are plugged in, have an opportunity to talk to Nagy on a regular basis, but that's that's their opinion. My opinion has been Detroit, uh, which is week four. I know that's become a really popular spot because you get Cleveland and L- L.A. out of the way. You know, since he is what it is. But the, the most important thing is you get Detroit and Vegas back to back. You get two defenses that are not incredibly difficult that is a kind of a good way to ease him in. and then then you get murderers row 
That's when the Bears have a lot of tough games in the middle of the season between Green Bay and San Francisco and Baltimore. And, you know, there's there, there's plenty in there that that'll be that'll be challenging. But at, at this point, I will say if he's on the field and starting by the Detroit game, I don't hate this strategy. And I've said this, if it was up to me, Justin Fields would be the starting quarterback week one, because I don't think there's a reason not to, but I will say, and I really haven't seen a coach do this. If the idea is, is to just give fields slowly kind of increase, you know, start with five, six plays, get them to eight to 10 plays, then maybe 15 plays, ease them in a little bit before you start them. I'm not against that. Now, I don't see any benefit of having him sit 8, 10, 10, 11 games. But if they're just going to ease him in for a couple games, let him get used to what an NFL week is like in the regular season, have him iron out some protection issues that did show up in, in the preseason that he, he did misread a couple issues with, with protection. I'm not against that idea if he is on the field within the next few weeks. Where are you with how Matt Nagy has handled him were you surprised he played week one? And at this point, knowing what Nagy's doing, where would you try and ease him in the start? Yeah, you know, I, I think obviously I'm with you. I, I would I don't see why you don't just start him right away, even though I get all of the arguments to not do that. I would say I, I like the idea of easing him in and giving him, you know, I think you need to up that though. So he probably had what five or six snaps against the Rams. I want to see him get full series or, you know, get stretches of a game. I, I know it's, it creates these difficult dynamics and it, it's hard to do. And then if he does well, and then you put him on the bench for Dalton, is Dalton going to get cold? And then like, I get that there's like, there's complexities to it, but look, there's complexities to any way you handle it. Um, so I'm with you where I, I would like to see him. Okay. Let's say he had five against the Rams against the Bengals, give him 15 snaps against the Browns, give him, give him 10, 15, 20 snaps. And then, then week four, like you said, my thing is if you don't start in week four home against the lions, and then you go to the Raiders, it's Packers, Bucks, 49ers, Steelers, Ravens are your next five games. If you believe that the argument of the Rams are too good of a defense to start him against, you're not starting against those five teams either. And so then you are talking about, we're in week 10, week 11. He hasn't started yet. So I would say I will admit that I'm, I'm more okay with easing him in than I initially thought. Like I'm cool with him getting just reps and, and seeing the speed of the game and learning from Dalton on the sideline and all that stuff. But I think the big thing at the end of the day is it's not even up to nag you. Like if this locker room says, is already making comments about how they're not running deep routes and they're so excited for Justin and Justin has this energy about him and all that. They're basically telling us already that they want to see Justin Fields just as much as we do. That locker room, I mean, that, that team was so excited when he scored that touchdown. You could see how much they want this kid to succeed and, and, and everything. So I, I'm with you right there. And, and, and let me just add this onto the when does Justin Fields play? Like you talked about that murderer's row of, of games coming up there in the middle of the season. If you know, Matt, Matt Nagy, we, we know, you know, there's speculation, oh, him and Pace were told that they'll be okay. There's speculate, you know, wh wh whatever you want to want to say. But I, I think there's some level of still being on the hot seat. If this team goes four and 13, I don't know how you're keeping, keeping this, this regime around. So I think what Matt Nagy needs to avoid is not doing a reactionary start to fields. You know, it's not, so you, so let's say they beat Cincinnati and, and lose to, to Pittsburgh or lose to uh, Cleveland. And they're one and two. And then all of a sudden, maybe they, they only split if, if Fields isn't out there. Maybe they split the next two games and they're two and three. And then all of a sudden they're two and four, two and five, two and six. And all of a sudden you're like, well, we got to throw Fields out there. We got to do something. 
that's not what you want because that looks like you're bucking from the plan and you're 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 panicking. So getting Fields in in like the Detroit game, or maybe you wait to Vegas. I don't know why you would, but and, and really getting him in there makes it seem like if you do lose those games, you're like, well, you know, you have a rookie quarterback in there. He's learning. He's playing tough defenses. You have a reason to go to to management and say, look what Fields is doing. Look how he's progressing. But we had to get him in there, and this is this is what's happening. Instead of well, we wanted Andy Dalton. He, we couldn't go in games with him, so we threw our rookie in there. They, you don't want to have that reactionary start like John Fox had to do with Mitch Trubisky when Mike Glennon was so bad. So I think if you're trying to protect your job, and and a lot of people are speculating, well, that's that's he wants Fields to come in late so he can say, oh, look how much better you are with Fields. I should keep my job. At that point, if you stink, you're, you're going to lose your job. So to me, I think the best way Nagy saves his job is having the right strategy with Justin Fields, whatever that may be, and getting him out there when you want him out there. I completely agree. And, and I think, yes, being reactionary, like we saw last year, obviously with Foles and Trubisky, like I think even he kind of has alluded to that Nagy that like he had a plan, but he deviated from it or he didn't trust it enough. And, and that caused some of the chaos. I'm with you where it's like, look, I, it's, it's hard to explain what I'm trying to say here, but essentially – I want to see like execution and clean offense, even if there's not actual production. And I know that sounds weird, but like if I see zero guys lining up in the wrong place and zero guys running the wrong route and the quarterback and him are arguing after the snap and they're just doing things cleanly, they're executing well, guys are getting their blocks, they know where they're supposed to be, all these things like that matters to me as much as actually producing. And, and so that's where I come back to, look, if Dalton against Cincinnati next week goes 30 of 50 and even has two picks, but 15 of those completions are downfield and, and Darnell Mooney's, you know, breaking tackles and, and Allen Robbins is getting his jump balls and, and they're doing things that you can say to yourself, look, a rookie might not be able to do some of these things. Yes, mistakes were still made, but they're expanding on this offense and building out this offense that fields can eventually take over. I'm more comfortable with that. But if they're going to continue to just they're, – like they're running a rookie offense with Andy Dalton, so why not just let a rookie run that offense? Yeah, fair, fair, fair point. All right, before I let you go, Cincinnati coming up this this week, you know, not not a great team in, in particular, but, they, you know, Burrow does like to throw the ball deep. You got Jamar Chase, you got Boyd which, you know, could cause some problems for the Bears. How, how do you see this game playing out? Yeah, so we talked about depth at receiver and how that can cause problems. And, and I think the Bengals arguably have one of the best, you know, one, two, three punches at receiver. T. Higgins did get hurt in week one, so I, I haven't seen his status update yet for this week. But I do think it's possible he does not play. Um, but Tyler Boyd in the slot, he, he maybe he's not Cooper Cup, but he's pretty close. Um, so that is a scary matchup. Uh, and the Bengals offensive line, after all the hubbub about Jamar Chase versus Penny Sewell, even though Sewell did look good week one as well, the, the Bengals offensive line looked pretty darn good against the Minnesota Vikings front that brings a lot of new faces in. They did not look good on the interior, though. So this is an Akeem Hicks game. This is a Bilal Nichols game. Um, I think it's going to be a little bit uglier and a little bit lower scoring. Uh, I think both defenses need to bounce back from last week. The Bengals defense isn't special, but they have some players. Um, yeah, no, what scares me really is just the fact that Burrow has multiple options to go to. If he does have time in the pocket, he will find an open receiver. Um, and I think this game is huge. It's pivotal. Like if they lose this game in somewhat convincing fashion, I think question marks are abound about everything. Yeah, no, I think if, if they, I think a lot of people have already checked this game as a win. And like you said, you know, you got Burrow, they, they could, Burrow could easily throw for 350 yards against that, that, that secondary. And if that happens, then obviously it opens it up to, to score in a lot of points. So 
If they start off 0-2 with Cleveland on the horizon, yeah, I agree. A lot of questions. All right, so there he is. Pro Football Focus is Brad Spielberger. He's at PFF underscore Brad. Give him a follow if you haven't already. Brad, thanks so much for jumping on. Of course. Thanks for having me. All right, there he is, Brad Spielberger. Plenty of good points from Brad. And, uh, yeah, the Bears did not look great on Sunday night in multiple facets of the game, and they need to improve that if they are going to keep themselves in the playoff picture. I, I don't know. You know, this, this, they're, they're not going 14-3. and three, But, look, the Packers looked terrible. I understand the Packers could look great this week. But coming off what we saw, the Packers looked terrible. Perhaps the Packers aren't as good as we expected. I thought the Packers were probably going to win 12 games. If the Packers are a 9-8, and 8-9 eight, eight and team, the Vikings didn't look great. We know Detroit's not very good. This is a division that you could potentially win at 8-9, and 9-8. and eight. So you got to keep that in mind, that the Bears might be able to backdoor into the playoffs with Justin Fields, and, you know, not have a great record. And that would be exciting for this fan base. So they, they got to figure out what's going on defensively. As for this, this Bengals game, you know, I, I agree with Brad. I have some concerns about what the Bengals passing attack may be able to do against this secondary. But I can't look at this game and know the, the, the Bengals defense is not exactly the Rams defense. Andy Dalton should have opportunities to throw it down the field. He better and Matt Nagy better make sure that they are trying to push the ball down the field more this week. But, look, Andy Dalton, revenge game. He's getting a chance to play Cincinnati. You know, I think this offense is going to look a little better than it did in week one. I think this defense will look a little better but still struggle than it did in week one. I think the Bears can win this game. They are, three. I believe, a three-point favorite. I think they're going to come out on top. I do think it's going to be close. It's going to be anybody's game in the fourth quarter. But the experience of Andy Dalton, the home field crowd, I think the Bears are going to win this game. I think it's probably going to be somewhere around 20 to 17. And if that's the case, obviously, they get one and one. Maybe they get lucky week three against Cleveland. But right now, they really need to win this game. You know, Brad mentioned it there in the interview. They cannot risk, cannot risk going 0-2 with Cleveland the next game up because they are most likely then looking at, at 0-3. And then if Justin Fields comes in for that Detroit game, you are looking reactionary because you started off 0-3. This is a really important game for Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. They need to win this game uh, to put themselves in a decent position here moving forward for the rest of the season. So we'll see if I'm right. Hopefully the Bears are 1-1 one one the next time we speak. Bear it out, everybody. We'll talk to you next week. Adios.